You're listening to Food Psych, a podcast about nutrition, eating disorders, and body image. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in health at every size. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships to food. Hey guys, welcome to episode 61. I have a really great guest for you today. You've heard her on the last episode, our live swap cast with Katie Dale about, and now she's back for a full episode of her own. It's Amy Rowe, a psychotherapist and improv comedian in New York City. She treats body image issues and eating disorders in her private practice, and she talks a lot about her history with food and body, and we get into some really great conversation here about how eating and your relationship to food can affect the rest of your life and how intuitive eating can kind of spill over into everything. So the title of this episode I love is called Intuitive Eating, Intuitive Everything. And uh, we talk about why that is a lot in this episode. So can't wait for you guys to hear it in just a minute. But first, I want to point you to a couple of great resources for helping improve your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess your relationship with food and see how healthy it is. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen personalized, individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you might fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com quiz. That's christyharrison.com quiz. The second resource I want to share is my Intuitive Eating Online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality, even in its subtle forms, and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control, and I'll teach you how to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and overeating, and so, so, so much more. Several participants have shared that the course has helped them make peace with their quote off-limits foods already. As one participant put it after trying one of their quote-unquote bad foods, I felt free, sweet, sweet freedom. Why was I so afraid of this food? I doubt I'll feel the need to buy another package when this one's gone, but just knowing it's off the bad list tastes and feels like a huge epiphany. What a moment of power. Participants are also having major revelations about how the diet mentality is hanging on in hidden ways. As one participant put it, before doing this module, I really thought I had given up the diet mentality. Now I realize that although I consciously reject dieting, I still have plenty of work to do towards accepting myself as I am. It was great. It really helped me identify what I need to work on by bringing it to my full awareness. And yet another participant shared this beautiful revelation she had in the course. My worth is not my weight or my looks, but my heart, mind, and soul. I need to trade in my self-judgment for self-love and compassion. It feels impossible some days, but I'm going to do my best. I deserve it. If you'd like to join others on this intuitive eating journey and have some beautiful revelations of your own, go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up. That's christyharrison.com course. And then finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people who need to hear the body positive message, you can leave us a great review on iTunes. And I really appreciate people who've left reviews so far. Just open up iTunes on your computer, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then go to the ratings and reviews tab. There you can leave a rating and review sharing what you love about the podcast. And I'm so, so grateful for these nice reviews because they help bring us up in the ratings and help more people find these positive messages. And now, without any further ado, let us go talk to Amy Rowe. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in Brooklyn. So tell me about your relationship to food growing up. My relationship to food growing up, the earliest memories that I can really like summon up really have a lot to do with my mom dieting Mm. and my mom kind of like looking for ways to be quote unquote healthier. I'm not sure at what point like the word like healthier kind of came into play, but like it definitely took root at some point with my mom trying to make efforts uh, to be healthier, which I think had a lot to do with like 
her trying to lose weight, like after having children and like having some struggles in that area. So she connected being healthier to losing weight. Yeah. I mean, against this backdrop is the whole like low fat fad was like huge at this time. Mm -hmm. Maybe like, I remember there being like some talk of like organic foods, like that really starting around then. Mm. And where'd you grow up? I think, you know what? I grew up in Queens. Um, yeah, I lived in Queens until I was 11 and then, um, my family moved out to Long Island I lived on Long Island. Yeah. So kept it all in New York. Mm -hmm. Which is, yeah, pretty savvy about that stuff. I feel like even, you know, in like the 80s and 90s, it was probably still organics were starting to be a bit of a thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I also like, it's so curious to me now that I think about it, because like you said, like when you're a kid and 10 is like a kid, 10 is when I became a vegetarian. Mm. And I was a vegetarian for... I mean, God, so long, probably, I mean, definitely through college and then actually for a bit after college as well, too. I don't have much memory around like the, the specific rationale for that, except that like, I also use this like blanket of it's healthier and I can't help but feel that, you know, modeling my mom kind of like blocking things out of her diet and out of like what she was eating on a day-to-day basis, like, Mm -hmm. you know, some mirroring of that going on on my end too. Definitely. Yeah. Did she ever try Mm -hmm. cutting out meat or talk about being vegetarian or was that like your own twist on things? (laughs) I think it was really like my own, you know, my own unique personality shining through. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I think that, yeah, there was definitely like some talk again, fat was like huge and fat was absolutely the enemy. Mm -hmm. So there was like, a looking towards lean meats as being like a pretty good thing and being like an okay thing, but still maybe like an occasional thing just because like the fat content, like I at some point absorbed from my mom, the fact that like there's high fat content in these types of foods and like meat was really over there. So I remember like just completely cutting that out and that being a really easy, like in my experience, just like going to a meal and saying like I was vegetarian, people like not really even questioning it. So it was like a super easy way to communicate, like, I'm not going to eat these foods that like, there's like a language around that people kind of immediately understood and it didn't really like get questioned or anything. Right. So you could kind of Mm -hmm. restrict certain things without being pushed or. Yeah. Yeah. Eat them. Yeah. And I mean, I like animals too. I think like, I'm all for the ethical treatment of animals. Yeah. And I think that definitely was like present and a part of it. But, you know, just like zooming out and looking at the full picture, there was like a, you know, a real looking towards like restricting or limiting foods or like blocking things out of, you know, day to day eating. Right. Um, that was definitely like a strong backdrop. Yeah, for sure. I know it's so interesting when kids make a choice like that because you're sort of like, where's that coming from? Is it, you know, some, Mm -hmm. I do have some kids or, you know, people who decided to be vegetarian when they were kids tell me like it was for animal rights reasons or I saw something about animals and decided to stop eating them Mm -hmm. or whatever. But also like there's so much restriction that goes along with it. Like you said, it's kind of an easy Uh way to just block stuff out of your diet. So, oh, super easy. And I also want like, you know, thinking about growing up in Queens and like, it's not far in like a metropolitan area, mm-hmm. but like I didn't grow up like a super sophisticated place. I don't feel like <laughs> I grew up in Maspeth, Queens, you know, uh-huh. like how the hell did I get that idea to be vegetarian too? Like there wasn't in it, you know, I don't think I knew of anybody. Like, I wonder where I got that idea from yeah. at that age. Cause like 10 isn't super young, but like know, in an era before like kids having like Snapchat or having access to like forums outside of their immediate, like maybe Mm -hmm. school. (laughs) Um, like, I wonder where the hell I even got that from. I know that is so interesting. It's, it's like mind blowing to think about the differences between when we were growing up and kids now, but yeah, it's like, you know, you clearly didn't pull that out of thin air. There's probably some mention of it somewhere or, you know, Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. in the ether. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. And I think like, again, a good parallel, like if I just went out to eat with my mom or if we were like eating in some kind of a, I don't know, any kind of setting really, and people might 
ask her about like what kinds of food choices she was making. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like similarly easily accepted to be like, oh, I'm watching what I'm eating mm-hmm. or, oh, I'm on a diet. And again, it's like this quick like communication to the world that just gets like accepted and is like, oh, I'm a vegetarian. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm on a diet. Oh, okay. I wonder if that's like, you know, again, I cleverly found like my own unique twist to like imitate that behavior. Right. <laughs> and it was calling myself a vegetarian. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I wonder if there was mm-hmm. something about that that was compelling to you, like being able to say, here are my needs or here are my boundaries almost with food. Oh, yeah. I definitely thought of it as being like a very grown up thing to do. And I was definitely the type of child and still have a lot of this to my personality where I like, like being thought of very as very mature and responsible. I like to not be too much of a problem. So again, maybe there's that idea of like not taking up a lot of space and like restricting and controlling like, you Mm -hmm. know, how much space I'll take up and what I'll do and what I'll eat. Right. But I definitely came to see like my mom talking to other women about diets and about weight loss. And I thought that that was like what adult women did. Yes. And, you know, wanting to be adult and wanting to be mature, I kind of was like, oh, okay, cool. Right. This is my initiation into this world. It's so interesting how many people have that experience, right? Like that women, you know, without even meaning to adult women communicate that to their kids or to, you know, family, friends or whatever, like this is how you act as a grown up woman. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's hard for kids not to emulate that. I remember like I remarkably didn't end up even trying my first real diet until I was in college. And somehow, even though my mom was always trying to lose weight, like everybody else's mom, and I heard like everybody else's mom talking about why, you know, low fat was good and this and that. I I never, I never thought about it, you know, when I was an Mm. adolescent or whatever, but like, I definitely remember when I was about 10, like making up, maybe even younger, maybe like eight, making up a diet that involved like a few pieces of cat kibble for some reason. Uh (laughs) And uh also like, you know, certain other food, like certain other foods, random, you know, human foods, but also like there was definitely some cat kibble in there. And I have no idea how that ended up making up that diet. Um, But I remember talking about like- Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember talking about like calories and vitamins and stuff with my friends and looking at labels. Mm. And I think I thought like, oh, the cat kibble has vitamins in it. So mm-hmm, be like my, mm-hmm. my vitamin addition. So yeah, I would eat like two pieces of cat kibble in addition to my regular food every day. Wow. Very weird. Wow. For like probably wow. a few days. I don't remember how long it lasted, but I don't think it was very long. <laughs> so oh, strange. Wow. I know. Yeah. How do you think you managed to make to college without ever having like really dieted or like thought about that? Because like, I mean, there's two ways of thinking about it. Like one mm-hmm. way is like, you know, um, actually like you did come around to that. <laughs> like, right. But then the other thing is like, wow, did some was do you feel like something was kind of like protecting you throughout right. adolescence or? Yeah, I do somewhat. And I think it's kind of a mixed bag of like positive and sort of double-edged sword kind of influences, you know, because I think one thing that protected me was thin privilege, honestly. Like I think, Mm -hmm. you know, which is not a great thing. Like is not, you know, I certainly, you know, fight against that in society, but I also recognize the influence it had in my life. And I think it did protect me against things. Like even though when I, you know, came into my adult body, which was like around, you know, 14 or something, or even, I guess maybe even younger, like 13, 14, I definitely remember mm-hmm. thinking like, oh my God, I'm so fat now. But it was right. It was not reinforced in the outside world, you know? Like, so I had this negative thought, which was just basically like from my prepubescent body to my adult, you know, young adult body or whatever, seeing the change and being like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so much bigger, AKA I'm fat. You know, that was like how it got translated. It was like, I'm fat now. But- I think if I ever, like, I definitely remember saying that to people and having them be like, oh, don't be silly. You know, oh, you're crazy. Like, you look fine. You look great, whatever. So I think that was one thing. And then I think also the positive, like the kind of purely positive influences were like that I did dance and I did track and I did theater, all of which kind of gave me some confidence in like 
the way that my body moved and like what it could be used for and things other than the way it looked. So I think, you know, although there was certainly some emphasis on looks with like dance and theater, but it was like, I think I still had, you know, somewhat of an authentic connection to like what my body was doing there. And so the scrutiny that that I placed on it from the outside was like less influential. And also I think again, thin privilege, like if I had been bigger objectively, And I had sort of thought like, oh, I don't look like these other dancers. Maybe I should do something. And Mm -hmm. someone had said that to me, which, you know, I know a lot of people who will have like a dance teacher be like, you need to lose some weight. I'm sure that would have pushed Uh me in that direction at the time. But as it happened, I was certainly comparing myself to other girls in the dance classes and being like, I'm so fat. But then nobody ever confirmed that for me. So I guess it it saved me, you know. I know it's it's really interesting what a what a road it was and then I think in college like the thing that sort of dropped out was the dance the theater the track you know the sort of like positive ways of using my body and then also like the reinforcement I had from parents and friends because I think I was less close to people you know like my college friends were a little more I don't know I guess I just hadn't known them as long and wasn't as comfortable even Mm -hmm. voicing those things to them because I felt like I would get shot down or I, you know, or maybe they would confirm things. I don't know. I just had like a sense that I can't really reach out to them for the, for like reassurance in this area. So I sort of was just in my own head stewing about it, you know? And I actually, I I remember a significant moment was that I tried reaching out to my roommate when I was living in France in my study abroad year. And I was like, I had gained some weight from the birth control pill. And I was like, do you think I'm fat? And she was like, in French, she's like, you're not fat, but you're a little round. I'm peu ronde, she said, and it, which is oh. kind of like slightly plump, you know? And I was like, that's oh, it. Man. Like, no way. Yeah. So one yeah. time when I was in, uh, when I studied abroad, the woman who I was like renting a room from, she actually like asked me if I was pregnant because oh. I went on oh. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, But like, also, I guess like, you know, coming where she was coming from, that seemed to make the most sense. Like Mm. there's this girl who's 20 years old living in my, you know, home and like paying me X amount per month. And, you know, she's so far away from the country she's from. I better just go ahead and ask if she's pregnant to like (laughs) help her out. But like really what had happened was (laughs) I'd been, I'd actually been vegan for like a year before I, I studied abroad. Oh wow. And like, guess how far that gets you in Chile? Not far at all. No. So I like, pretty quickly put on a bunch of weight. Right. And yeah, I was so shocked by that and felt so embarrassed. Oh, yes. Because, you know, the other thing, and I feel like I've, first of all, never been to Europe. I've been to South America and I've been to Africa, but Mm. never made it over to Europe. Wow. Um, So I don't know like how they use words like fat or Mm -hmm. how your roommate was using the word but like in Chile, people would be like, yeah, just like walk over. You're going to want to talk to so-and-so like she's fat, like brunette. Right. People just use the word fat as like a descriptor. Mm -hmm. And it would almost give me like whiplash, you know, especially at that age, because I had no idea that the words fat and thin could possibly even be like divorced of any like moral meaning. (laughs) It's so interesting. People would yeah, they'd use the word fat and thin like it was like just another descriptor of a body and didn't matter. It fucked me up. It was so mm. crazy to me. <laughs> that's so interesting. It's like that's what the fat acceptance movement is trying to bring back to us, like to American society yeah. and Western society, but right. it's so foreign to the ears of the uninitiated, right? It's like... right. Yeah, I actually, it's funny. I remember when I was a kid, like learning those words, learning about, you know, just descriptive terms. And I definitely remember a phase in life where I saw them as purely neutral descriptive terms, like around, you know, four or five, six years old, probably. And then I think it, you know, quickly got corrupted by kids at school and stuff like that. But I, I definitely remember a moment where I was just like, oh, fat, thin, you know, big, small, like it was just another way of sort of categorizing sizes, you know? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Or you call somebody, I remember, I have a very distinct memory of being 
maybe like six or seven and like meeting a person, meeting an adult and saying like, you're fat. <laughs> like, that's what I said to the adult. But like, uh, I don't think that I meant anything by it mm-hmm. other than like sometimes kids meet adults and just say an observation. <laughs> right. And, but I do remember very clearly being told by my mom that like that was not nice. Right. You know, so we have these moments where we're like, you know, never again, like, will you come, will you believe this to be a neutral term? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unless like years from now, you know, you, you come to like other place of learning and unlearning this. But like for now, like you've got to know that that's like, that's a mean thing to say to a person. Oh, totally. Which is mm-hmm. so fraught, right? I feel like, you know, thinking about like, if I have kids teaching them about size acceptance and body diversity and stuff, like I would love yeah. it to, to have kids, you know, my kids have like a sense that those are just neutral terms and they don't mean anything morally. But then also like some people do experience that as an insult or as something that they don't want, you know, a kid pointing out. Right. So then how do you convey, like some people are not going to take kindly to you saying that to them. So it's something that we can say behind closed doors. Like that's weird, you know, (laughs) like, right. Not a message that helps either. So I don't know. God, what a hard thing to be born into the world and to have to learn all these rules. I know. <laughs> like you have to sit down your five-year-old and say like, really, like here's a set of values that I want you to have. But also like from here on out for the rest of your time in the world, you're going to have to like negotiate and be aware of what your values are and also like the values of those around you. <laughs> like, right. You've got to be sensitive to it all. <laughs> Like, how is that, you know, and I feel like most of us get that sort of conveyed by like, you know, like your experience where it's like you think it's neutral and then you're told it's not. And then you go through life thinking it's not for a lot of it. And then you have your own experiences that sort of bring you back around to whatever your your own values are later. But Mm -hmm. like to, you know, be able to sort of download all of that into a child's mind. I don't even know. I don't really know how possible that is, you know, because they kids can't always understand nuance like that. But. Oh, no. Mm. A lot of people can't understand nuance like well into their 30s and 40s. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, just look at any Facebook argument or like anybody talking about voting in the primary. Oh, like, yes. You know, like, <laughs> to, to see that like adults do not understand nuance. Yeah, it's very true. Super hard. Super, super hard to like yeah. learn how to impart that stuff. It helps me to remember how much of that stuff is just like you were talking about imparting stuff to your kids. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking about like myself wanting to do the same in the future. And I think it helps to, me to remember how much you embody values and you embody a way of being in the world. Yeah, And that is like such a big part of what you give to your children is like, just those small, those like tiny little moments in how you like handle food or how you treat people of different sizes, what sensitivities you have in conversation with other people. Like just there's not much pressure on explicitly making points clear and like doing that kind of teaching. As long as you're like doing your due diligence and taking care of your stuff in house, the way you live your life is going to be a lesson. I like to remember that. That's such a great point. You're, you're so right. Like kids really pick up on those things without even having to say anything. So Mm -hmm, mm that's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. So, okay. So going back to your childhood and sort of how you got from like vegetarian at age 10 and having that sort of idea about like adult women try to lose weight or try to control their food and seeing that modeled in your mom. Like what was your adolescence like at that point? Did you end up starting to do more dieting as time went on or- What did that look like? I don't think that I ever like would have communicated to a person that I was dieting because I don't think that I would have had clarity around like what exactly I was doing, but it was very, very mindful of like how much was coming in. Like that idea of like calories in calories out was Mm -hmm. like very prevalent and like discussed at that time. I was always an athlete you know, and like trying to be sensitive to like periods of time where I would be more active and like allowing myself to eat more during those times. Mm -hmm. But I think just, I remember 
from adolescence, like they're just being such a culture of like restriction that I wasn't really just like eating freely. Every choice about food or like every time I sat down to like eat something, it was with a mind towards like, but not too much. Do you feel like your friends sort of embodied that as well? Your peer group? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I remember sitting down to like many, like I'm thinking about ninth grade and 10th grade in particular. Mm-hmm. Like a typical like lunch would just be a bagel and like a Snapple, mm-hmm. which in hindsight, I'm like, oh God, what were you doing? <laughs> right. But like, if I looked around my mind's eye at like what every other girl at the table was eating, it was pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't much. And I think that like to say that you were dieting, to say that you were engaging in those behaviors like would not have been like a welcome idea Mm -hmm. or you would have been like kind of in your moment of sensitivity of like do I say anything to my college friends or not like Mm -hmm. you would get shot down like it's almost like like things that I would fear hearing would be like no you idiot you don't need to lose weight like or no Mm -hmm. you dumb dumb like you need to diet like right you're so foolish you're so stupid so Mm -hmm. like we you know just like making those choices like quietly and guarding that I think is a way of like protecting it. Totally. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I think you're right that like, if you're fearing what people are going to say to you more than you're sort of hoping that they can reassure you or dissuade you or, you know, help you, then you're going to err on the side of just like keeping it to yourself and making these little choices throughout, you know, the days and every meal to just like quietly restrict a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's super interesting. And then like you begin to notice like the, I mean, I remember being probably like 12 or 13 and noticing, you know, periods of time when I was more active slash eating less, like Mm -hmm. what change that would have on my body versus like other times Mm -hmm. and like kind of just really noticing in that, that and being like, Oh, Okay. I get how some of this works. If I eat less and if I'm more active, like my body will get smaller. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Almost as if it like happens by accident and you notice and then you like repeat and play around with that to see. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really common route into dieting and eating disorders for a lot of people, right? It's like mm-hmm. some sort of inadvertent weight loss or just noticing the effect that something has on your body and then being like, oh, what if I do more of that? Mm-hmm. Control mm-hmm. the outcome, you know? Yeah, totally. That's interesting. So did you then go deeper into it or did you kind of stay on this level of like silently, subtly, just restricting a little bit? I would say that I stayed on that level for a while. And then probably like in college, like just, a, I don't know, I'm trying to think about for whatever reasons, Like, I think because in college was one of the first times I ever felt truly, I don't know, I just remember, like, gates opening and, like, the (laughs) world expanded very rapidly. Yeah. And it was a little bit, like, some boundaries around me just, like, melted away and, like, Mm -hmm. there's alcohol here and, like, there's the ability to have sex whenever you want it (laughs) and, like, all of these things that I remember, like, eating more and eating like much more than I had been and, you know, gaining weight as a result of that, you know, that like freshman 15 Mm -hmm. quote unquote thing. But really like it wasn't until much later that I think that I was doing some, some thinking around like, well, what is dieting and what even is like a healthy relationship with food? Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of like that goldfish in like a goldfish bowl. Like you don't see the water around you, but I had thought that like, what I would have thought back then would have been that, that normal healthy eating is like constantly having an eye towards not having too much mm-hmm. and not particularly not too many like quote unquote bad foods, you know, which would be anything that's like too high in fat or too high in like sugar. And then like out of control eating was not thinking about that. <laughs> like <laughs> that's probably what my old definition of that would be. That yeah, you realize like how nuanced and how like deeply ingrained some of this stuff was for a long time. Right. And it's like, yeah, your definition of out of control was just, you know, not, it wasn't even like 
intuitive eating versus like binging or emotional or whatever, you know, like having sort of Mm -hmm. a genuinely like out of control feeling around food. It was just like having less of a sense that you were monitoring yourself. Right. Yeah. Relaxed boundaries. Mm hmm. Yeah, I know. That's Mm -hmm. like, which makes so much sense growing up in the culture we all do. And, you know, in the household you did too, where it's like, oh, this is what quote unquote healthy looks like being attentive to all this stuff. Yeah. When you're at college and there's nobody watching you, like, (laughs) God, what a great time. (laughs) I know. What an awesome time that is. Oh, yes. Um, You get to eat whatever you want and you get to like drink whatever you want (laughs) and like, do whatever you spend your time, however the hell you want. I mean, it just is like a massive loosening of, you know, expectations and like, you know, controls across the board. And like, and sort of the colliding of so many different people with different value systems that maybe you didn't experience growing up too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's such a good point too. Yeah. I definitely experienced that in college. And I think that was another thing that sort of helped contribute to me going off the rails was just like I had grown up with sort of one basic set of values and kind of knowing like, you know, what my North star was or my moral compass. And I think my parents kind of helped reinforce that. And then, you know, going to college and seeing all these different ways of being and people from all these different backgrounds who had such different values than I did. And, you know, I think some of whom explicit, like made me feel like bad about my values or my background, you know, like the sense of like, like understanding that I had privilege, that I came from privilege was like, I didn't just experience that as like, oh shit, like that's, I guess I have to like, take that into account and like, you know, use that wisely or, or investigate and, you know, relate to it like thoughtfully. It was more like, oh shit, I'm bad because I come from this background. You know, I'm like, I can't possibly understand, you know, what real people have gone through because I've never have, or my value system is so skewed. And, you know, it was like, of course I just jumped to self-judgment with it rather than being like, it's okay. It's just, one of many ways to be, you know? So Well, God, how, how could you, you know, like at that age, like, what are you capable of? Ugh, you know? I know. <laughs> uh, that's such a tall order for that age. And we put like a lot of, like, there's all like this, like talk of college students nowadays being too sensitive and like needing trigger warnings and all that stuff. And it's like, I kind of just want to say, can we scale back and like take stock of what we're asking of people at mm. these ages? And like, how truly overwhelming that is. You've got a lot of shit to make sense of all at once, all of a sudden when you go to college, especially when you go away and you're living away from home for the first time. I can understand and have a lot of compassion and empathy for why people would be so overwhelmed by that. Oh, yes. And yeah, it's so young. I mean, 18 is so, you're still not really fully formed. You're considered an adult, but I feel like my real sense of being an adult didn't happen until like my mid to late twenties. You know, I, I felt oh, God, completely yeah. adrift for years after 18. So. And for most of my twenties too. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is like a, I recently have had some interactions through the comedy world with people who are younger than me, who are mm-hmm. like maybe in their early to mid twenties and kind of like talking to them And one of them just like really clearly said like, God, being in your 20s sucks. I hate it. Mm. (laughs) Like, It's so hard. And I do remember that's a really, really hard time too. Um, But probably I did start to feel almost like at the core of my being, like a solidifying of things in my late, late 20s (laughs) that it just felt like gears and, you know, moving into place and like things finally clicking Mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, like I kind of know who I am now. And I kind of also know that I'm never going to really a hundred percent know, but I feel like my feet are like both on the ground. I feel like I can walk forward and I feel like I can be okay. Right. Um, And it's hard to have that when you're younger. Oh yeah. So hard when there's so many like possibilities that you think are open and you have to choose the right one or, you know, you risk eternal Mm -hmm. damnation or something (laughs) like, Oh God. Yeah. I I remember thinking like Mm -hmm. everything I did, you know, every little career choice or every little 
like article I wrote or thing that I, you know, early mm-hmm. in my career as a journalist, it was like, I felt like everything mattered so, so much. And that if I made it's gonna make or break move, you, it would make or break me. Yeah, exactly. Which, mm-hmm. I, you know, is, I mean, I guess it's true to a point that if you completely put your foot in your mouth and, you know, say something like racist or something, you know, whatever, then that might influence, mm-hmm. you know, put a, a negative mark on your career for the rest of your days. But barring that, you know, like, you're not gonna just because you wrote one article that was a little lackluster or like said something that ruffled some feathers in the organic farming community like who cares really you know everybody makes mistakes absolutely I totally also and I felt similarly I feel like I get where we got that from though Mm -hmm. you know especially you know where you go to middle school and this wasn't necessarily the case for me but like where you go to middle school affects where you go to high school. What you get on this test affects, you know, what you do here. Like we very much are like brought up in a system where every little stupid thing does affect the next mm-hmm. step. So like, of course we would have projected that out into the world. You know, if I do well in this job and I'm liked in this job, then um, I will be able to advance into the next thing. And there's some elements of truth to that, but it is not like that absolute that we were that I definitely thought it was. Yeah. That's such a great point that it is really, cause I think that's one of the big things about like going to college and then especially like graduating from college and emerging into the adult world, like, you know, the working world or whatever, like you have been conditioned to think like every little thing matters. There's all this evaluation built into the system and like checks and balances of this thing allows you to go on to this next level class or this next level, you know, institution Mm -hmm. or like, you know, supposedly better institution, you know, by getting these test scores or whatever. So like, yeah, it makes complete sense that you're emerging from a system that reinforces that every step of the way. And you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, where's my evaluation? Who gets, who tells me when I get to go on to the next job or get the promotion? Did I do good? Yeah, exactly. Did I do good? Am I doing good? <laughs> Nobody's oh. telling me I must be doing terribly. Like, yeah. I know. Oof. How do I know whether to like myself or not? Right. God. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, that outside <laughs> outside reinforcement is so built in. and like for people who thrive in it too. I mean, I was always a good student and I feel like I did well in the mm-hmm. system because maybe my me natural too. inclination was like to want to please people, you know, or or whatever, but like so then coming out of that, like, it's like almost kind of a a detriment in certain fields to want to please people too much, you know, and to not have a little bit more of an internal uh, sense of like why you're doing something or fuck the haters or whatever, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I definitely was like a very rule abiding person. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you when I went to college where I went to school, like we were not allowed to discuss grades at all. That was like very freeing, but also like it was a little jarring now that I like am mm. looking back on this aspect of it because like you're left with this big nebulous thing like learning is for the sake of learning and personal enrichment and like that went right over my head. <laughs> I mean I I understood yeah. it but like did I really grasp it? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like living for one's own pleasure and living for the sake of like being here and constructing your own meaning of the world. Whoa, like I wasn't mm. ready for that. Yeah, that's a big, no, it's a big shift. Totally. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting too thinking about that in terms of like intuitive eating, because, you know, I think a lot of people want to come into intuitive eating from a place of like always having been controlled from the outside and following rules Mm -hmm. that, you know, that they got just passed along to them or from a diet, you know, from multiple diets or whatever. So like to think about, being self-directed around food and having an internal compass about like what you're hungry for, when to eat, when to stop eating, like how to relate to all these different foods. I think it's in, in a similar way, it's like really foreign and sort of a lot of people don't feel ready for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's confusing. It's also like, I, you know, kind of going along with this like success and everything this idea of getting a good grade or Mm -hmm. or being really good at something and pleasing to other people. When you really stop and sit with that question of like, how do I know when I'm hungry or how do I know when I'm full? Mm -hmm. It like to reveal to yourself that you're not like quote unquote good at something. Like you're not 
good mm. at or practiced at or skilled at recognizing your own cues for hunger. Like that feels like a, I could understand that feeling like a failure. Right. Oh, that's uh, so interesting. Or feeling like I'm really, yeah, like you're, you're not doing good at this. I'm not doing good at this intuitive eating thing or I'm not doing mm-hmm. good at this like you know, you're applying that same like good or bad or like A, A B, C, D grade kind of like mentality to it. Right. Right. And the diets really are built on that same grade mentality and reinforcing from the outside. So I think it's sort of understandable that people would fall into a diet mentality and the diet culture is so like, it's so easy to plug into, you know? versus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. intuitive eating is such a radical shift from like everything we grow up knowing, you know, unless you're in like one of those rare lucky households where intuitive eating was cultivated from the start and never like, you know, never stopped. But yeah. And you think about too, what (laughs) I'm going to make it like broader, but like what intuitive eating can also like threaten to awake in people Mm. of like, the idea of intuitive living. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So if I'm eating what I want to eat and I'm like eating when I want to eat and how much of food that I want to eat, your brain can't help but like extrapolate that to other parts of your life. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you've got to look at the cubicle job that you hate and you've got to look at the relationship that you've been in for years and years that actually isn't fulfilling you anymore. So if I can be in this world in such a way where I listen to myself make choices about that come from an authentic place of what I want. Like, oh, I know. hard to limit that to just food. And then oh, that, that yes. creates change and like conflict and like, you know, everything that's necessary to grow and change and live in alignment with what you want. Absolutely. That's such a great point. Like it's really, cause I, I think about that a lot. I always joke that like, you know, everything I do in life is sort of influenced by intuition now because I learned how to tap into it through oh, yeah. food. And it's like, now I'm like, I'm intuitively investing, you know, like I'm picking a stock and going with it, even though people don't say it's going to do well, you know, just all these things that right. like just feel right to me and I can listen to it and, and trust, you know, when to move a certain way, when to eat a certain thing, when to like you know, whatever, do something different in my career or move to the next phase or invest in a certain thing. Like it, mm-hmm. it really does touch all areas of your life. And I think too, like totally. I was thinking about this recently, like the personality types, you know, like Myers-Briggs. I mean, I don't, I'd be interested mm-hmm. to hear what you think as a therapist, like how much stock to put in that stuff. But I mm-hmm. was told, you know, maybe in high school that like my person, my Myers-Briggs type was INFJ and that like, you know, intuition was one of my dominant things. So I I remember learning Mm -hmm. about it a little bit back, even back then. And I don't think it registered like what it actually would mean to live from intuition. But I think once I, you know, grew up enough and got through my own eating disorder and got to a place where I could learn intuitive eating, like then it was like, oh, right. Intuition. Like I I can do this. I know how to do this. And it comes easily to me, you know, versus I think maybe if you're more of a a sensory person, that's like the opposite pole in Myers-Briggs where you kind of, you know, use outside information to like make decisions or glean uh, what needs to be done. Maybe it's harder to live intuitively, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think all that stuff, first of all, I love taking any kind of quiz that reveals anything about myself. (laughs) Like I could, I love that stuff. I I love self-discovery, but I think, you know, I would also say that I am very ruled by intuition and I have come to value it a lot more. Mm -hmm. I think about all the ways like, you know, with regards to food we've, we've talked about, but like we, we're kind of taught to not trust our instincts and taught to not value that intuitive stuff mm-hmm. quite so much. Like I remember just like times in my life when like I've, I'd had strong feelings, but maybe were told that they were not rational or told that they didn't make sense, you know, quote unquote mm-hmm. by, by whoever. And in moments when I was younger, not really having the tools and not really having the ability to say, yeah, but I still have this feeling and it's still important and I need to like act on it and listen to it and make sense of it Mm -hmm. for myself. Like we are kind of told in many ways to not trust ourselves and our own guidance. And I think it can be so hard when like your intuition is pretty loud or speaks to you in ways that, 
maybe aren't like that are obvious, but you don't really understand them yet. Cause as a kid, it's, it can be hard to make sense of those internal signals, but like right. when you have, you know, these internal signals telling you, like, I was very anxious as a kid and I had a lot of like, you know, I would, I would get like sort of bad feelings about places or people or whatever. And I couldn't really put it into words, but I would just like, you know, the anxiety would come out in a way that, you know, was just sort of not difficult to understand. And then I would be told like, oh, you're being silly. You should just, you know, jump right in. Don't, you know, like kind of things that I think my parents wanted to make me a more, you know, hardy person who could handle being in the world and not be so sensitive to every little thing, which like does have some value, but also like my natural intuition and sensitivity and like way of making sense of the world, you know, that sort of radar that would just speak to me and like, you know, a knotted up stomach or sweaty palms or like, you know, refusal to do something like that was actually valuable information that was, you know, squelched and being told was wrong, you know? Yeah. How do we teach? I mean, let's take it back to like, how do you teach kids? But how do you teach kids to like make sense of that? Oh my God. (laughs) Like, Little little tiny Christy and like little tiny Amy with their like strong feelings and strong intuitions mm-hmm. and complete lack of ability to understand what any of it meant. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think too that like people, I mean, up until recently, I think it wasn't really considered to be a social value or it was it was considered to be more of a hindrance maybe to have that kind of sensitivity unless you were in uh-huh. maybe a specific field. Like if you were in a religious community or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A psychic or a, Uh a, yeah, an advice, you know, a priestly advisor or a, you know, something where it was valued to, to have that speak to you. Right. Like I think if I had been born, you know, if either of us had been born into like a Buddhist culture, maybe that would have been a lot more understood and valued and and appreciated. But like we're born into this culture that says you got to suck it up. You got to, you know, not be too sensitive. You got to get shit done got to be successful. Look at the facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at the facts. Don't let your weird feelings influence what you do. You know, your weird feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, I think, cause I, I mean, I think about too, like I I've said on the podcast before I learned pretty recently that like another quiz that you can take is the highly sensitive person test, which I, I, Oh, sure. Therapists tell me about and um, identify that I was highly sensitive and I was it all made so much sense. It it helped put so many things in perspective from my life. But good. Yeah. And so reading that book and learning about high sensitivity, I was like, oh, it had to come from somewhere. And I can definitely see how my parents both have that to some degree and the ways that they have like interpreted it or, you know, learned to manage it in their lives have actually been some of the things that I've struggled against and I've had to like overcome in myself, you know, like perfectionism, uh, you know, being super driven and like not giving yourself enough time to sort of sit down and feel your feelings kind of just like pushing through and, and not, you know, or like getting really angry or shutting people out or, you know, things that like, I think sensitivity can motivate like big emotions. And then instead of kind of being Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is coming from, you know, I'm being super sensitive and maybe this person didn't mean what I thought they meant or whatever, you know, kind of just like running with the emotion and assuming that that's valid too, you know? So. Yeah. Value your intuition. You're picking up on something, something's going on or like Mm -hmm. something within you is meeting something that's going on in the world outside of you. And it is producing a big response Mm -hmm. and that's feelings are always for a reason. And I think we often forget that. And we often like, sometimes people will be like, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just in a bad mood. There's no reason for it. Or like, Mm -hmm. I'm sad. There's no reason for it. I'm just anxious. There's no reason. Like the reason might not be known to you because like I've been there, I've been in awful, awful moods and awful Mm -hmm. places without any roadmap for like why I find myself there. But I know that there is a reason, like everything is for a reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whether I'm like grappling with an existential reality, you know, like part about reality or like Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of the world around me or somebody just said something that really triggered me, something's going on and that deserves to be looked at. And I think that again, like just is the connection with intuitive eating what are your cravings and what is your, you know, what you're looking for? What does it all mean? What's going on for you? Right. Cause it's like, 
you could assume that, oh, I'm just out of control around food and I'm addicted to sugar, which is why I can't stop eating these cookies. Or you could think, okay, like I'm not crazy. I'm not being steered, you know, in the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not totally out of control. I mean, food addiction also doesn't really exist in the way that it's sometimes explained or expressed in like the popular culture. You know, it's like you can have addictive like qualities around how you relate to a particular food because you're deprived of it or because you're deprived of food in general. But that's not the same mm-hmm. thing as like being physically addicted to it, you know? So thinking about all the right. larger things of like, oh, I, I didn't eat all day or I had like a super late lunch and it threw my whole schedule off and that's why I'm now ravenous and I'm eating all these cookies. Even though I didn't feel the mm-hmm. physical signs of hunger, I clearly still need to eat something, you know? And maybe I'll next time plan my day a little better or something rather than being like, ah, yeah. see, clearly I'm addicted to sugar because I just polished off this whole pile of cookies, you know? Yeah. Or like, why do I want to eat an entire plate of cookies right now? Like just Mm -hmm. being curious about it can either reveal that story or it can reveal the story of like, I'm genuinely hungry for these cookies or I'm actually really pissed off right now. Mm -hmm. And like, this gives me comfort and would make me feel better, you know, totally. like whatever answer you find at the other end of that is like good information for how to take care of yourself and give yourself what what you need. Because it might be the cookies, it might not, Mm -hmm. you know, you just got to ask the question. Right. Yeah. And you can kind of use it as your intuition speaking to you if you if you see it in the right Mm -hmm. light. But unfortunately, that whole diet culture thing makes people see it as like, I'm a failure. I didn't do my diet right. I, you know, I know something wrong with me. It's so hard. And one of the things we talked about on our when I did the group podcast, the swap podcast. Yes, the um, swap cast. And Katie, mm-hmm. swap cast, yes, is like, I feel like compelled to go there is like this, the idea that things are getting like more and more like tricky and like difficult to point to because like diets now are using some of this language. Oh, yeah. Like the language of like intuition or, or the language of having what you want and what you really want. Mm-hmm. Freedom to do whatever you want on this diet. And how tricky that is, like, because it's so complex to teach a person intuition, truly like reconnecting with yourself and making sense of all that that is, that is a lifetime's work. And then we go like assigning points and like allowing for pizza, you know, like you could have a pizza or a salad. It's your freedom. Listen to yourself. But, but like just marketing your book appropriately. (laughs) Um, Right. Like, oh, it's a very like ingrained you know like insidious kind of way of like getting in between a person and their true nature their true desires oh totally that's so uh it's like I think too it's when you don't really know how to listen to your intuition but you want to like it clearly speaks to the fact you know all these new ways of marketing diets clearly speak to the fact that people are not satisfied with diets people do actually want some sense of connection to their own desires and their own bodies. And so like diets are sort of taking that desire and just folding them into their marketing versus, Mm -hmm. you know, to really honor the fact that like, okay, this demand is out there for, you know, connection to your own body and connection to your own intuition. And the way to get that is not another diet, but actually directly connecting to your own intuition and your own body, which is like a lot scarier for a lot of the reasons we already talked about like because it's so outside of the parameters of what people know also not as much money to be made off of uh-huh. <laughs> it's true you, you know really, you make yourself obsolete if you teach people how to connect to their own intuition I know uh, which is I mean you know um, I think that's the goal of our work too right is like I always say you know, I don't want people to see me forever. I don't want people to need me, you know, to come in every week and have me review their meal plan or their food logs and say, oh, here's what you could have done differently. Like, that's not fully living, you know, eventually right, you got right. to go past that place and be able to do it for yourself. And then you can stop paying me to help you. And that's great. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, speaking of career stuff, like how did you decide to go into psychology and, and become a therapist? Well, I, right out of college, I took a job working at Planned Parenthood and loved it Mm. and was doing like sex education full time, which was awesome. And like some counseling with kids and then decided from there to go to social work school and 
took an internship doing therapy um, with kids who had been sexually abused and really like talking about intuition, like was doing that work and felt like this is it. Like, this is what I, Mm. I belong here. I belong doing this and kind of kept at it from there. It wasn't something that I felt probably there was like some part of me internally that was like led and guided all along. I like Mm -hmm. to believe in a little bit of a roundabout way. Like I knew that I wanted to be doing something like social worky and something, you know, in service to others. But, you know, I was initially led to like Planned Parenthood and that like ended up taking a really different kind of a a turn more towards me working one-on-one with people and, you know, their, their issues of life, like of being human and of being in the world. So that is how I came to this world. That's cool. Yeah. And that's, Mm -hmm. so it was different than what you thought you would do when you were in college or younger. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely was a little bit more, I mean, here I am now, like I work for myself and Mm -hmm. I just do my own thing. I think, you know, I went to like a somewhat competitive high school. It was a public school, but it was on Long Island and like fought to get into like a good liberal arts college and then like wanted to go to like a good um, prestigious grad school and was a little bit minded towards like, what jobs can I get that mm-hmm. have, you know, prestigious titles attached to them? So maybe was like a little bit more motivated by that when I was younger. But thank God, even within that was led to service because like I, I, I belong and I want to be working with people. So I'm glad that I didn't like take that some other kind of weird route, like go to law school or something, oh, yeah. <laughs> which actually I could have been I could have been to service of people as a lawyer. I'm sure I could have. But mm-hmm. like really what feeds me is like sitting with people and, and getting into what's going on in their lives. Yeah. And there's so many different uses for that skill. So, or that Mm -hmm. outlets for that desire too. But it's, I mean, it seems like such a great fit that you ended up here because you really, you know, I think a lot of people came up to me after that live podcast and they were like, that Amy, she's so thoughtful. I can totally tell she's a therapist. You know, everything she said was such a gem. Like, it's true. I think you really have a way with kind of articulating what's going on for people. So it's, it's great Thank that you ended you. up following that path. Yeah. I'm curious too, in terms of like working with people around their relationships to food, like how did you start kind of tuning into that? And, you know, what, what did that bring up for you that you had to address when you did? Oh, yeah. I mean, I came more to this work through, I mean, I've been doing my own therapy forever and ever and ever mm-hmm. and like have done a lot of thinking around my relationship with my body less so honestly with my relationship with food, like, Mm -hmm. but with my relationship with my body and like how I was honoring and like caring for my body, how I was like dissociating from my body, how I was sometimes just not wanting to be in my body. And then that kind of like led to doing some thinking and some working around, around food, because like, I think the two are like so connected and like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I think about ways that I was listening to my body's, you know, need for food, need for rest, need for exercise, need for like being gentle with myself within exercise, not like pushing myself too hard. You know, that kind of led me to this, this world of other professionals who were like dealing with treating eating disorders and, um, thinking more about like histories of trauma and like dissociation and all of that. So that's how I got there. And then once I did get there, I kind of thought like, well, like the food issue is not so much of an issue for me. Like my issues are more like in this realm. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, of course there is work to be done there too. And like, I felt genuinely very surprised that there was thinking that I had to do around my relationship with food and like what it meant to be healthy. And there was still, and I'm sure still are like things inside of me that I hope to continue to challenge and to continue to like look at Mm -hmm. um, because that's really what growth is. Uh, So, yeah. And I, I came to see it, although, you know what, I, as I say this, I'm now like living with my boyfriend and he, his landlord always like throws him these copies of men's health magazine. So I just (laughs) was like flipping through one. I really started to think of these things as like feminist issues and like issues that pertain to, to women and like a, all women to like one degree or another Mm -hmm. but like god i'm like looking through this men's health magazine and it's like 
you know, how to drop pounds in a month, how to get flat abs, you know, human growth hormone, yes or no. Uh, you know, like it's not just a women thing anymore. Um, unfortunately, not that it was fortunate that it was a woman thing before, but like, it's a human thing. We all like are born into these bodies and have to learn how to be with them. And that's like no small feat. I know. And such a, you know, in this time we live in too, where it's like increasingly there's pressure put on appearance and the outside. Like I think more and more people are, you know, of any gender are sort of falling under this sway. Yeah. You know, yeah. Body image and yeah. And I clean eating. all that. I know. And yeah, clean eating. It's like the morality within that is so pronounced, you know, Mm -hmm. food has become, Mm -hmm how we relate to food or how we eat and take care of our bodies or, you know, sculpt our bodies as it were is so loaded these days. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it is. This world. I know it's horrible. And yeah, there's also so many great things too. I feel like, you know, with the, the spread of such like a visual culture, there's also more and more information available about alternatives and ways to be that don't fit within the mainstream. So absolutely finding the path, finding your path to it. Yeah. 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 But I think that's, it's so interesting how, you know, food touches everything because like my route into it, into doing this work was, you know, my own eating disorder drove me to write about food when I had, you know, when I started my career as a journalist, I was not eating enough and was constantly thinking about food. So it kind of made sense that I would go into writing about it. And then, you know, through time working within that realm, I, I started to recover first, like open up to recovery and then kind of change the behaviors and finally address the thoughts and therapy. But, you know, I think it, that path for me, it felt like it was so much about just food. And then I realized like, oh no, it's about my body and my relationship to my body. And it's about my relationship to like self-worth and self-care and intuition. And it, it just folded in all of these things, you know, and then I started to see like, oh, it's a feminist issue and it's a social issue and, you know, social justice of like how we treat people in larger bodies and how everybody is pressured to be in these thinner bodies that are not realistic. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's ev- everything. It, it's everything. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like kind of one of the great miracles I think about the world is that if you've got an issue, it's going to show up in a lot of different places. (laughs) So like that's both daunting and also like a blessing. Totally. Because there you are working on your relationship with food, relationship with food, relationship with food, and it can't help but extend Mm -hmm. (laughs) and generalize and like spread from there to you know, your relationship with like your own self-worth and your relationship with like saying yes to other Mm -hmm. intuitions that you have. And like, it just goes from there. So it's like, God, everything's connected and I'm reflected and my relationship to myself is reflected in all things, but also like, great. So just pick an area to start, (laughs) like pick a corner of the room to start cleaning. Um, and then before you know it, the whole thing's going to be clean. (laughs) All you have to do is worry about the one corner. Yeah, such a great point. And so hopeful for anyone who's struggling, because I think sometimes like when you're in a bad place, you kind of think like my whole life sucks, everything is the worst. And there's no area of my life where I don't feel like I'm doing badly. But then Mm -hmm. your issue is probably just manifesting in all these different ways and can easily be not easily, but you know, can be like worked through and then your whole life improves. So I've definitely experienced that like, things that I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, would always be a challenge or a problem have kind of, you know, miraculously transformed into a gift or something that's not even a problem anymore. You know, it's like, just keep at it. (laughs) Yeah. Your whole struggle. And probably would you have ever been able to have like about this, but then, but your whole struggle with food, like awakened you and gave birth to a career. Yeah, (laughs) I know. But who the hell knows? Like this thing that's the biggest, worst thing in your life right now could be like just screaming in your face to get you to to do something <laughs> that you really like 
are supposed to offer to the world. Like that's the madness of it. Oh my God. That's so crazy. Yeah, I know it is. It's, I think about that a lot. And I've had people ask like, what would you say to your 25 year old self? Or what would you say to your 20 year old self or whatever? And I'm like, you know, I want to like save her from going through this stuff. And I would, I would want to like give some of the knowledge that I have now, but also like, you know, I would have maybe never found my way to the place I'm at now, or maybe I would have, and it would have been a completely different career trajectory, you know, like if I had recovered before starting, you know, had an eating disorder and recovered before starting a career, like maybe I would have been a marine biologist, who knows, you know, so like, right. And maybe I would be, you know, I sometimes think like I would be a therapist or I would be, you know, there's probably Mm -hmm. some way in which my desire to help people would manifest in my life. And it just happened that like the issue I cared a lot about because it happened to me and because I know so well, like what it takes to recover from it is, is around food and body, but maybe it could have been something else, you know? And like, you can see this perfectly now, but like, you know, the suffering and everything that like 20 year old and 25 year old you was going through, Mm -hmm. you were able to manage it and transform it, like, which is amazing. But yeah. like, we never know that. We never know that when we're in it. I or, know. When I we're know. in it, it can feel Maybe. so, so impossible. Yeah, absolutely. Something to constantly remind ourselves of. <laughs> hmm. I know. It's like, we never know what's on the other side. We never know. And the suffering that you're feeling now is not going to last forever. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we're like, we've been talking for such a long time and we could talk so much longer. I feel like I could talk forever, forever. forever. Yeah. And yeah. So <laughs> we'll have to have to continue the conversation in uh, offline and on. But yeah, so tell us, tell us like where people can find you online and if you have anything you want to plug or promote. Sure. Well, I perform at the Magnet Theater Yes. <laughs> um, oh on Wednesdays as part of Megawatt. So um, I'm currently on a team called Body Work. So you can check us, check me out there. Nice. It's a fitting and name. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Body Work, I know, isn't it? <laughs> so um, funny. And what else? Yeah. AmyRowe.com for therapy and, and all else. And on May 20th, I'm doing another show. I'm doing another like uh, group therapy, food and body show at the Magnet Theater. Nice. At 7 p.m. So that's what I got coming up. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was so fun to participate yeah. in the first time. And and for anyone yeah. who uh, doesn't know, these shows are like Amy gets a lot of people together who have interesting perspectives on food and body to like share, you know, panel dis- there's panel discussions but there's also like interpretive dances <laughs> and monologues yeah and I don't know what you got yep. coming up for this one but I- I'm sure it'll be yeah. just as exciting yeah it's a comedy show and an educational show at the same time yeah so cool the way mm-hmm. that it bridges those two and we didn't even get into improv but that's like a whole other fun side of your story so oh yeah people should go check you out magnet theater anytime you want come on over yes Oh, it's so fabulous. Cool. Well, thanks so Thank much for so doing the much. podcast. Yeah, it's great talking yeah. to you. Yeah. I've had a great time. Take care, Christy. Yeah, you too. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. And then I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison. And the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position now? Boogies want your food, and you ain't really beat. Have you ever went over your friend's house?